when I when I'm supposed to jump in. Yeah. Hey, Duncan. It wasn't going to be like a fun, like jump scare type thing. Like, but yeah. So we'll, we want to talk about that, about going from senior developer to software development manager, which seems to me like a crazy jump. Because it happens a lot. Too, and it does. But should it? Find out. No. Some, <laughs> some people go back. <laughs> and then also, we want to have a nice side dish of talking a little bit about government contracting dev work versus enterprise. Who's more efficient? Who's more frugal? We'll find out. No, we, again, we won't. We'll find out at five. Find out at five. Yeah, but you don't know when this is being posted. I can't. What if, what if it's after five? It's fine. It's fine. So first, uh, let's do like a little bit of background. Um, how did you get into this whole software development industry? Well, I, I studied computer science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I'm going to add a boo noise <laughs> later in post. <laughs> the best university. Uh, and then uh, right out of college, I started working as a defense contractor in Washington, D.C. as a software engineer. And then, you know, a couple years there, and then I moved to Seattle, Washington, to work as a, a developer at Amazon. And did you have the offer in hand when you moved to Seattle? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I was just exploring options and casually taking interviews. I wasn't actively seeking another job at the, the time, but it seemed like the right time to leave. So I'd, I figured I'd uh, I'd I'd go, and I I think I started in Seattle the day after Cinco de Mayo. So I had a Cinco de Mayo party in Washington D.C. on a Sunday night, and then flew in here and. Walked into the office the next day. <laughs> Beautiful. And when you said it seemed like the right time to leave, is that code for anything? No. Did was, Operation Phoenix complete? No, I actually liked my team a lot that I worked for uh, in in DC. Um, it was just the environment is uh, not the most fun. You're you're working with old versions of software. There's a lot of uh, security considerations. You can't you know bring your phone into all your locations. Uh, so it's, it seems very set in the past, uh, depending on what office you're in. Um, and also, you know, you get paid a lot less. <laughs> Whoa, this is, all right. We, we put a bunch of, we put like a bunch of points in the con column already. Mm. What are some of the advantages? What were some nice things about government? Yeah. So, uh, I, I got to learn a lot of cool stuff that most people wouldn't know about and I can't tell you about. That sounds um, good. So it's interesting to kind of see from that perspective, uh, I also, um, I had a, a security clearance. So once you have a security clearance, it's it's a very high form of job security. Um, there's a lot of companies looking for contractors to fill out their dev roles. And uh, if you already have a security clearance, so you basically save the company uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I don't know if you heard a little company called uh, Amazon is yeah. currently pursuing some uh contracts which require security clearance. I, I have a bunch of friends I used to work with in the DC area that now work as part of AWS and are using their clearances. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's the huge value out there is like to, yeah. to already get it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're, you know, it's good to recruit people to have it. Uh, on the downside of that, you have a lot of people who kind of stagnate in their jobs and kind of stay with government work for years and years and years. Um, on my team, there were like a couple people who just, uh, my first team uh, uh, on a contract, um, there were three new people who were like fresh out of college and then everyone else had been there for about 25 years working on the same contract and actually working on the system, the contract for the system that this new contract was trying to replace. 
So they were they were basically in the same building for those 25 years doing the same thing, working on the same contract. Wow. That's And just for full context, I think in the time that I was at Amazon, I want to say we were was part of like three reorgs, which like completely changed project priorities. So on the one hand, I was like, wow, it'd be nice to have some more stability. But on the other hand, uh, 25 years on the same project is, you kind of suspect at a certain point you might get some benefit out of like an upgrade or a rewrite. Uh, yeah. And and then even even the contracts, you know, when you're the new contracts, they're they're implementing a proposal and a design that was done years before. So they're... Uh, the design that we were doing was like very heavily focused on enterprise Java beans and right. like all these things that were like the new hotness ten yeah. years before. The kids are calling it XML, <laughs> and it's going to revolutionize the way you make network requests. Yeah, we actually uh, one of my projects did a lot of XML. We had we had the largest instance of uh, I think it was MarkLogic, which is an XML based document store database, which is terrifying to think of. So you had, you had the largest in the world. Uh, I, I I don't know. We were one of the early users of it. Could you bring Guinness in? We used in? it a lot. Uh, they I, don't, did, I don't think we could. They did the benchmarks are like, wow, this really is. They're they're, they're foreign. They they can't do it. That's <laughs> can't come on site. Fair enough. So that's so that so some interest, but that's like kind of interesting from perspective of scale, right? Where like, okay, you're working on like it's all the government stuff. And they can't just be like, you know what? Let's just delete all the social security numbers and reissue them. Like <laughs> it's not worth it to migrate. Like, well, they're also very large contracts and it was all, uh, you know, they're very heavily on the waterfall model of software development. Um, one, one interesting thing to learn about like government contracts, which, uh, I got to see a little bit is the whole, uh, RFP and proposal process. So RFPs request for proposal. So when the government wants something done, uh, they'll say like, oh, I need a system that does this stuff. And they put out a request for proposal with a lot of um, like very high level requirements. And then what happens is all these government contractors then generate this gigantic uh, proposal document, which can be you know hundreds of pages long. Of, um, and it's a very like, rigid format. There's different sections that have things like there's a whole section about budget and resourcing and how much that'll cost. There's a whole... Like what technologies they're going to use, decided upfront before any team even forms. Um, they have all all kinds of, and and they they pull together a team from like across the company to work on this proposal. They'll basically have these uh, sessions, just like weeks, where these people will just be in a room together, doing high level like work breakdown structures to say, here's all the things we need to get done. Like who's an expert in like this field? Like tell me what technology I should use. Write this up, uh, and it comes together in this giant proposal and. Um, you know, while I was working at Lockheed, they they had the uh, the F thirty five contract, which is still going on, uh, and like that that basically started as like one giant proposal with hundreds of people working on it. Yeah, that's a, so that was, and I mean, is there ever anybody somebody's? Because I mean, it's really easy to kind of like parody the government approach to doing things, but like they do work at scale. Um, but like, is there ever like a phase where people go, Hey, like check out this like little like demo repo I made. Like, this is kind of cool, right? Like, this is what if we did this, like how much experimentation is there during that process and how much of it is like, okay, based off of best, you know, what we know to be good right now. Yeah. Uh, during the, during the contract, there's like some small times when you can do that, where you can feed in, uh, you know, ideas like, Oh, I can do this part better. I can fix this small part, but the high level design is, is done upfront. For the most part, so uh, they try to 
they've been trying to do a more agile style work development. Um, at least they did when I was there. And just because that's the thing that, you know, is to attract developers, you want to say, oh yeah, we're agile. We do, we do scrum. We do, we do these like five things that kind of sound agile, but really we're all upfront design. Uh, so changing course through the, through, through a project is not, not really done that <laughs> a lot or, or without, without like major issues and escalations to, to kind of the managers running things. And so, I, I mean, I would imagine that that works. Sometimes it works fine where it's like, oh, yeah, it's in Java 7 and it could be in Java 8. But then other times it's like they com- completely miss the boat where it's like, look, a beautiful SOAP API for every government. Like about in your experience was could people tell when it was like, OK, we're maybe not cutting edge, but we've you know, we're still relevant versus like, OK, we maybe missed the boat on this one a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely cool technologies and a lot of things that we can work on that, you know, are are amazing from a technical perspective but software wise you are stuck on previous versions of things like you know when i came to amazon we were one of the first teams to use node.js internally and like that that would just not happen on a on a government contract like you would have to wait for node.js to go through like a, a you know certification process so we can import it in and use it on 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 different projects you can't just you can't just take something from the internet and download it and yeah. say this is part <laughs> Look, of the project and it's like where did it come from and it's like i don't know like npm it's like where did that come from uh some some dude's github yeah and it's just like yeah. wait that's it and it's like <laughs> from what country like i don't know like his avatar is just like a robot and it's just yeah. like yeah <laughs> yeah and, and as you know npm doesn't play well in like uh air gapped networks or things that can't connect to the internet yes uh, node dependencies are tricky uh, yes, that I have experience there. We, uh, we also we did have Maven on one of our projects, but we had to have an internal repository with all the cleared software. So my computer can connect to our internal Maven repository, and which is a similar package management to Node, where it pulls down uh, a bunch of libraries that I need to set up a project. But it wasn't like mirrored to the internet. You needed to you needed to take things, burn them onto a CDR send them through the the security person, have them transfer it into the internal network after they do some various virus scans and different scans and license checks, and then they put it into the internal network, and then you have it. And what and what year was that approximately? Uh, it, was, it was about seven years ago. Yeah, so still kind of late in the day to be doing that, but like almost defensible. Like it's, it's hard for me to remember 2011 where it's like, Oh yeah, no, I, I didn't have like a smartphone. <laughs> like, like I was probably still pretty excited about my CD drive. Yeah, smartphones were just starting to come out. I had, a, I think I had a HTC Hero uh, was my first kind of smartphone. Um, but uh, and that, that's also one of the uh, the issues that you weren't able to like bring your smartphone into your workplace a lot of times. So I'd have to like lock my smartphone in my car. Uh, so I so couldn't take advantage of all the cool things it did. If you're in the DC area and you're looking to break into some people's cars, <laughs> there are probably still some very nice iPhones in the parking lot. Yeah, uh, those parking lots tend to be protected by people with large guns. But yeah. That is probably why it's okay to do that. But, you know, look, I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying I'm letting people know that there may be a gap in the market. Or maybe there's not. No, but that, like, that's, I guess that's why they have the, the security on security. Well, the security is more for protecting the secrets, not the cell phones. Honestly, as a developer, I would feel most safe if I knew that it was that we got a little clink of glass there. Uh, what, what are we drinking now? I think it's time for our 
Oh, <laughs> we're a little diversion. What are we drinking segment? Uh, well, this is uh, Hibiki uh, Japanese whiskey uh, by Centauro. Was a Centauri uh, distillery in Japan. So uh, yeah, it's a cool, cool glass. Nice whiskey. Uh, there we have it. <laughs> there it is. And did you didn't purchase this on an Amazon trip, did you? No, no, no. I do most of my liquor purchases in person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant uh, like oh to Japan. Yeah, I meant like no, Amazon flying no. uh, flying you out. No, I wish we do have a team there that I work with often, but I haven't had a chance to fly out there yet. That's another nice <laughs> perk of. Like I guess actually, what with government contracting, did you do much travel? Only tell me about the unclassified stuff. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I had some friends who did, but um, all my stuff was local to the you know greater DC area. So I, I might go between different sites. I'd have to you know deliver things and then do installations in certain facilities. Um, I like. So I, were you setting up like server racks? Or? Uh, no, no, like software installations. Mm. Uh, all this, all the, all the stuff is, you know, air gapped and not necessarily connected to each other. So you, you do have to physically move, move software for, on CD. Um, there's a whole system of, uh, there's a whole process of being a courier for, uh, various levels of classified information where it involves going, going to a place in your, in your site, giving them, you know, the burn CD, um, meeting Jason Statham, like explaining why, yeah, like yeah. he, you know, why, why you need to go rogue. Yeah. They'd, they'd, uh, they'd wrap things up, lock it in a double lock bag. So you totally. can't have access to it. Then yeah. You, you give it to another site. They track how much time it takes you to deliver it to make sure you didn't stop anywhere or anything went wrong. That's... And then the site calls back to the original site and says, Oh, we got this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, like real heavy duty adult security. <laughs> like <that's... laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is cool to see that they do, they do take things seriously. Yeah. And that's one like big advantage of not being on the public internet is like you actually, you have a much more manageable security model. So I guess it's, it's yeah. Air gaps, basically the best, best security model i think yeah like it's kind of the only security model i mean yeah and uh there are a lot of other you know interesting policies like uh a lot of buildings maybe didn't have windows or if they did have windows you have to keep your blinds at a 45 degree angle or more so that people can't just like see your monitor from across the street yeah like but, i mean things that make it things that make perfect sense but like yeah. it's kind of funny to think about like you know like there's a picture of blinds and there's like a red x over them it's like no these blinds are too far open mm -hmm. like this yeah no, I, I visited a friend who uh, is a dev in Arlington and like his building only had, I guess they must have had more than one, but only had like one visible entrance or exit and no windows. And so I was like, he was like, I'll meet you at the entrance. I'm like, which one? It's a huge building. He's like, you're not going to miss it. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, there, there are buildings I've been to that like from the outside, they look like normal office buildings that have windows, but there aren't on the inside. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. Like. That's because this is like, yeah, look at the perks. Yeah. Uh, enjoy a beautiful view. And then you get inside. It's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. You were prompt. Don't worry. You get the big corner office with a wonderful view. But yeah, well, at least you can tell people or can you. Well, is that that's not security clearance, right? Like you can you can tell people there's not really a window in your office. Uh, depends which office it is. Depend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Look, we can excise anything we need to later. <laughs> <laughs> The important thing is you get all on the record. Yep. But, I yeah. mean, I had friends who worked at sites that they, they were required to take different routes to work every day or 
take circuitous routes just so that they didn't have a standard pattern or people like know where sure. they were going or especially you're encouraged when you're going between different sites that you're, you you take abnormal routes so you don't connect that these two things are related to each other. So if you know what this is, you know what that is. Yeah. Like, no, the, oh, the, yeah. Like, like, like matching with the metadata or something. Yeah. yeah. There was a, yeah, like there was that interesting story, uh, was it last year about, um, about people in the army using fitness trackers and they were uploading their GPS data to the cloud. And it basically just un unmasked a bunch of classified sites. Cause you know, yeah. if you're working for the government and going to these buildings that aren't labeled government buildings on the outside. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, why were they there all day? Mm -hmm. But then I, I like to imagine like the opposite side of that is somebody's like, this must be a government warehouse. And it's like, no, that's just where I go to get high. Like, just, <laughs> like, like yeah. Although, no, I guess the government policy on that is like pretty, that's another part aspect of it as well. Is, yeah, no, is, none of my, none of my friends in DC were, uh, partook in any of the marijuana or anything like that because it's related to the clearance. If yeah. You, they, you're, you, you can be drug tested at any point in time. Um, that's what you agree to as, as having clearance. If you supposedly, if you test positive for drug while you're on a clearance, you lose it. Maybe that didn't work for Elon Musk, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the general rule. Yeah, which is, I mean, uh, not the worst idea. <laughs> like, to, to, to like be like, maybe we should drug test people with top secret clearance. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> it does come into conflict with area. Like, there's a lot of military bases in Colorado now. Yeah, uh, and then you know the conflict of federal versus state law. Mm, yeah, that's that's a tricky one. So, being but, working for the government, you're basically held to the uh, the federal law. <laughs> sure, like makes sense. But like, yeah, I, I was thinking like the last like basically the explosion of like social internet and like mobile, like basically like all these phone and home devices from a security perspective, it's like a nightmare where it's like, check it out. I'm mayor of Foursquare in this data center. It's like, no, like, no, like, Oh, is it cool if I live tweet me? Check it out. Y'all briefcase full of the nuclear codes. Like pretty cool to be Facebook live. Like, yeah, I'm going to periscope this, like the joint chief of staffs. Yeah. It's like you, I mean, are they, is there anything you can do to like change their culture to kind of like meet in the middle or are they still just like no phone, no posts? No yeah. Internet? I'm, I, I, some sites might've changed since then. I, I figure that it's probably difficult to attract talent when you say like, you can't use your mobile phone, you can't do any of the stuff. But, uh, the friends I have who still work in the industry, they like, I, I can't talk to them during the day cause they don't have their phone. So I would, uh, that's actually, but some people that's actually kind of appealing where it's like, no mom, I'm. Top C, I can't. Security clearance. There's no way for me to take this call. I'm yeah. so sorry. You do have a phone. You do have a hard line phone at your desk, but yeah. who uses those? Yeah, that's, that's extension. Like that. That would be very weird. Because I, I, I remember this is just back in 2015. Uh, we had we still had the desk phones, but like people would get calls on their desk phones, and it was like mine was set up and mine would ring, and I would just like. They're like, I, you have the wrong number because no one has this number. So yeah. if you're calling, you're not calling for me because I haven't given it to anyone like that. Then that slowly stopped. Yeah, I still have a desk phone, but I haven't used it in three years. When is the last time it rang? Uh, probably probably about two or three years ago. Right, like, and it was definitely the wrong number. Yeah, yeah like that's a, <laughs> or a solicitor. I, so I say, oh, I'm just testing to see if the line works. Yeah. Like, oh, good. <laughs> like, yeah, that's but but I mean, again, like it. It was almost three years ago. It was almost like defensible. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, and now it's it's like, no, just put any authentication you need. Just gonna be on my phone. I'll put a password if you need me to. Like, like everybody now has released where I'm at now. Like, everybody has like two factor authentication for their GitHub. 
Yeah. Which like I have two factor on most of my accounts. I uh, I definitely do not have work email on my phone though because I refuse to give remote admin access to yeah. <laughs> to, to other companies. Yeah, that that doesn't feel great. <laughs> like um yeah, like the general rule is is like okay, they issue a laptop and it's like, "All right, it's their laptop." Like you know, I can't later be like, what? How dare you look at my work folder on the desktop? Like <laughs> my taxes 2017 folder on the desktop. Like, but yeah, I mean, that's just sort of the only, like, I guess, like, safe way to do it is be like, okay, either this is their machine that they own. And like, I have no expectation of like any, like, like privacy or just even just like protection from like, you know, I don't even know if their network is secure. Right. And then it's like, okay, so it's like, okay, I've written down my Git token like on a piece of paper and then I carry it in my wallet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't trust, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't trust any other part of the system. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. That uh, two factor is a pain though to migrate phones. That's the one thing. Every time I migrate to a new phone, I got to redo all the Google authenticator. <laughs> oh, I haven't, yeah. I haven't thought about that. Like that, that's with the same number. Imagine changing numbers. That'd be a nightmare. That would be the worst of all worlds. Yeah. I, uh, I, and I know a lot of sites use text SMS for two-factor, but uh, I've also heard a lot of cases of it being hacked. So like, it's it's not a great two-factor since you can just call into the company and just socially engineer yeah. them to say like, oh, my number's not working. Give me a new SIM card. Yeah, like yeah, like uh, you know, like a, a set app with like push notification. <laughs> At least you're moving it a little bit further down, where it's like, okay, well, somebody either hacked like. <laughs> Like somebody, somebody like, it's like, okay, at that point, if they have like, if they, if they can run arbitrary code, like inside of your application, you're distributing, like it's over. <laughs> like, it's just like your company's screwed and should start over. <laughs> like there's no saving you. Like, but, but yeah, like that. So, so that's, so what, like, what are some other, other than getting to know like cool government secrets? Like, was there anything about like mentioned, like it's pretty much waterfall, but does that also make them more like I, I would say patient in terms of timelines because well the timeline they spend a lot of time on estimation probably more than more than most companies uh so they they're they've done this a long time so like people are well aware about building in like product buffers and not having like super uh you know tight dates in some cases although also there's projects like the f-35 that have you know gone 10 years longer than they expected it to go or uh so there's both sides on that one one thing I've, uh, as a manager recently that I thought they did well that we definitely don't do is uh, requirements tracking. Mm. So they have, they they also use a lot of big monolithic tools. Like on my projects, they used uh, IBM's uh, Doors program, which is a requirements tracking program. I'm not familiar, but uh, yeah, it basically most people aren't because no one no. Wait, is it like a playoff of like Windows? <laughs> I, 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 I might be. <laughs> we had a. Uh, my first my first project was a was an IBM Rational stack, so it had all like the Rational. Uh, are you familiar with Rational? Not at all. It was a it was a company that IBM bought that like, I guess they had their own kind of uh, methodology called Rational, um, where it did a lot of stuff. But they also have their own version control, uh, so it was a central version control using like Rational, and mm. then they had um, they have that- their own. That really was the golden age of the monolithic tech where it's like, yeah, we do issue tracking, we do version control and yeah. deployments. Oh, also, we'll go and throw in a compiler. And it's just like, what? Yeah. What are you? <laughs> like, But uh, the requirements tracking was cool because like they have 
you know, because all they have in this giant proposal are all these different requirements at a very like low level potentially for some of them. And they they're able to track them through the whole project and say, like, you know, did I implement all the requirements that I set out? Um, whereas uh, at, at Amazon, as a, as a software dev manager, I actually saw an email recently where someone's asking, like, oh, do we have requirements tracking? I'm like, no, we mostly just do it in Excel, yeah. which is what most companies do. They just, yeah, every row, that's... they just write out these requirements in Excel, and then, you know, you have no version tracking, oh, or you, tra uh, you track it into, like, a I almost think a that's intentional or something. because, like, I've, I've seen projects that have experienced dramatic scope creep and also dramatic descoping, but like kind of quietly like like if you ask a dev on the team like what's been happening they'll be able to tell you they'll be like oh yeah no like they cut like two-thirds of the features but if you like look at like the high level status reports and presentations you net like it somehow never really gets mentioned that like the product is now like totally different than what it was when you started yeah you have, like, you have these requirements and uh, like you don't know when you're done if you can't go back to the requirements and say, yeah, I, I did all these things. And we have the case sometimes where we have these high level like user features we want, but then there's all kinds of encoded requirements that, you know, are in the mind of the product owner that say, yeah, well, I said this, but I really mean these like 30 things. Uh, yeah. And then it becomes pro problematic when we don't flesh those things out until, you know, we're halfway through the development cycle. And, and that's why PMs have somewhat high turnover at Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, no, I'm just kidding. There are it, other reasons it, as well. It's always difficult to communicate, like the like what's in your head as like an ideal product. Sure. Um, like our team at least has the benefit of we do a lot of front end features, so it's very easy to at least provide UI mocks and say, oh, here's all the features, and you can actually point to things and be like, oh, what does this do? Uh, but yeah, back end teams, I can imagine have a lot have a lot more issues it, yeah, in that it, regard. Can, it can be very nebulous if you're asking someone non-technical like okay like what's our sla for tps and they're like uh i gotta go to the bathroom and then they just <laughs> never come back right because they're like i don't like they're like i don't know and they're like well it only supports 200 simultaneous collect connections they're like well is that a lot is that a little like they don't <laughs> have context for some of these decisions so like i can imagine it they're kind of at the yeah. mercy. Or they of the say team. like, "Oh, there's only there's only a thousand users, so there can't be that much high, high TPS." But then there's a batch job that runs for everyone at midnight. So really, they're supporting zero TPS and then two thousand yeah. TPS. Yeah, yeah. It's like what, what an interesting chart you have here. <laughs> like, this, like, yeah, and and those kind of things are like those are always like the like the tricky details that it's sort of like sometimes the team gets it right without it, like without, without a word being spoken. It's just like, okay, yeah, we picked, you know, whatever we picked the right data store. Like we picked the right backend, everything's going to work perfectly. And no one's, it's not going to come up. It's just like we implemented it works. And then other times like nothing's really said about it. And then it becomes this like huge bottleneck. And then sometimes it gets plowed through. Sometimes it's like, well, whatever, we'll fix it. The important thing is that we announce it, we'll fix it later. And then other times, you know, it does, it does get fixed, even if it means like some like slip, like deadline slippage. Um, but I, yeah, I guess like that being pure backend with it, I wonder what it's like for pure, and I guess maybe you have more experience than me, but like, what is it like for a pure backend team to interact with like someone, a non-technical stakeholder? Because that seems terrifying. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of times there's not a non-technical stake owner, and, or there's a there's more of a technical product manager whose whose customers are other developers. Like AWS has that a lot, with like tech, like they have a role called PMT, which is product manager technical. Mm -hmm. um, 
So like if you're developing an API, you obviously have customers, but your customers are generally technical people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, like I just, I just love, I just don't see this JSON format going anywhere. You know, like in some cases, I mean, I guess it's good if they're some things don't change, but I guess some things do. A lot of it comes up. I know, like, so I work in advertising. Uh, in advertising, there's a lot of madman over here. Yes, that's that's where the whiskey comes in. Uh, there's a, a lot of emphasis on you know reporting to customers like what are the metrics like how are we going to show this to the user and that that's kind of the ui for the back end because how we do things d determines like what what can we report on or how do we report on it and if we report on something and we call it something is what the customer thinks that metric is actually what it is <laughs> right yeah like so there's a lot of discussions back and forth with Pink Pike about that be like oh I have this metric it's called it's called this and then and they they kind of have a different interpretation of what that means um, and then it's it it's communicating to them that oh it doesn't make sense to think of it this way or you can't you can't break it down into these buckets this is something that I think is interesting is developers don't get too hung up on meanings usually it's like okay it's called a constant but actually you can push new items into you know like or like where it's like okay well this is called abstract but really it's just you know it's like we're more complicated like okay this is a very te specific technical meaning and it doesn't really matter what the dictionary meaning of like concatenate is you know like what matters is like what it does for like a given language like or like a given like relevant technical sphere whereas when non-technical they're like no but it, uh, you know, it's like a view is this, an impression is that, based off of Webster's, Eng and it's like okay, but and and that's just a problem with English in general. Like it's hard to communicate concepts at different levels to be able to, you know, not go too pedantically into the details of of things every sentence you say. Um, but I, and I think that's one of the the big differences of uh, making the leap to like an SDM. Uh, as opposed to just a developer where you're you're expected to be able to distill down things more or to like drive consensus and to you know kind of go between the developers and the product owners and say like this is what we really mean like yeah i, I see you and kind of have that intuition like i see you're interpreting it this way but you're a little wrong this is what it exactly is hmm. so that's not, it's just to be the i guess yeah the bridge between dev and and that's why I'm in a lot of meetings. Yeah, that's. I thought you guys were just hanging out. Like that's <laughs> just. Oh, this is fun. Like, but, yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Um, especially if you're like coming in off of like a senior developer role. Like, I know uh, in your case, like, you know, some of the old code is like how. What would you say your current split is between like coding and managing? I uh, I don't really do much coding at all in in work. Yeah. Uh, like I try to fix small bugs if, if I can, but part of it is making that separation. Otherwise, you won't have time to do everything you need to do to manage. You right. Know, I spend a lot of time with one-on-ones and with all the people I, I manage, plus talking to product owners and talking to other teams and trying to get things you know deployed and pushed through, and all the all the document uh, you know the the soft work that goes into like pushing out software. But. Uh, yeah, a lot of meetings. No coding. <laughs> a lot I, of meetings. And, no and when I do code, Wait, like I don't, I don't tell people that I'm going to yeah, do it. I say yeah. like, oh, my team will look at looking, like yeah. working on this. And it, like the past couple instances where I've done some bug fixes have mainly just been, I know this is super simple. I'm not going to tell them it's super simple because then they're going to put pressure on our team. But right. I, I want to do this just so I don't distract people from like the main work. Sure. 
and just just to be clear, to add some context, when Tony said a lot of a lot of meetings, not much coding. He reached for the whiskey and like held it protectively, <laughs> like that's. But I, I mean, I guess it's also important too. Is like I mean, this is just like a common trope, which is like the like you know senior developer turned like software manager. You know, they're looking for you to do less coding now, right? Like they want to see. I would imagine they want to see you do a transition. Like if you were doing. 80% writing code, 20%, you know, managing to be like, okay, why didn't you just stay yeah. a senior developer if that's what you wanted and, to do? And that goes to part of the reason why I actually made the switch because, you know, we were we were kind of in need of uh, a manager on our teams. And part of the issue was that, like, as someone who knows the systems and, like, knew what was going on, I, got, I just got pulled into a lot of meetings. So in a dev role, I was in the situation where I was going to meetings, like, half my time and didn't have time to actually do coding tasks. So I've exp- yeah. I, I don't want to be judged, like, just career-wise, you don't want to be judged by your coding standards when you're really spending all your time in meetings. No, no, I've, I've definitely, like... I've, I saw that happen in real time with a very, very good SD3 who um, was asked to sort of fill in for a manager role, like, and they didn't really want to do it. Like, it, they were just like, I, they're like, listen, I'm not an SDM. Like, I, I'm, I'm in the job family that I want to be in. And they kind of put pressure on them to, like, sort of step up and do that. Um, but part of the problem was that I guess they were looking at like an, almost like an old way of thinking where they're like, well, everybody knows you have to stop coding at some point. And it's like, OK, but there are now multiple career paths. Like if you if you want to, you can keep going. You know, you can make principal if you want to. You, you have to like find your specialty yeah. and like dig deep and like you're going to be doing more like system design and less like. And just by the numbers, you know, the technical path to becoming a fellow or, a, a you know, principal engineer, senior principal depending on what company you're working for, is, you know, there's a lot less of them than there are same level management. Sure. <laughs> Just yeah. because yeah, it becomes your company grows big. You need you need these layers. You need these people making these decisions and managing potentially hundreds of people underneath them. Yeah. And you've got these, yeah, like there's the coordination costs. It's like that's like as a large company, it's like the cost of communication. I don't know. How strong is this whiskey? Oh, uh, you know, the, the, normal whiskey. <laughs> all right, what? Uh, uh, it's only forty three percent, one hundred and sixty proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> standard <say that>. standard <laughs> whiskey. <laughs> but uh, no, I was, I was saying before I, I tripped up on a very simple word. Um, like the problem, I guess, like the communication cost grows where now you need to spend a lot of time just making sure that like this other like sister team or org will like their product will actually connect to yours. Whereas when you're a small entity and it's like, it's pretty easy, you know, it's like, you've got to talk to the one person doing it where there's like hundreds of people doing it. It's so I guess you need more of that, like connective communication layer. Yeah. And I, I find that there's also a lot more context switching. Like I need to, you know, I'm managing two teams. I imagine if I manage more, it'd be much, much worse of a problem is I have to track all these features that are completely independent of each other and say, and be able to jump into a meeting and say like, oh, the, like what am I talking about? You're, it's this thing. Yeah. And then dive, be able to dive into that and then go to another meeting like the next half hour and say, uh, talk about something completely different. And so that's without, without throwing any shade on anyone, shade, <laughs> like on anyone, like, do you feel like there's, um, like people who are become software development, like managers without a, not even, not even like, even if they're technical without like a specific technical background, like in what their team is doing, have you noticed they like have different strategies for managing things because they have to kind of 
like like you don't need to bring a, a, an SDE from your team along for almost everything technical yeah. that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Uh, just being able to insulate your team because otherwise, then you end up with you know a, a less like a half SD that you're managing, and then also all your time going to these meetings. Mm. Um, so yeah, I try to I try to be minimal about who I loop into things and try to unless I absolutely need to, and even then, you know, just have them answer the questions asynchronously and not in meetings. Sure. Yeah, like I think that's. But now, in terms of your feedback, did you have the same? Were you reporting to the same person as a senior developer and as an SDM, or did like did your, you know, I guess your manager change? Uh, that is the same manager at that point, but I had reported to different managers throughout. <laughs> yeah, like so. It's it's so. Was did you notice? I guess like in terms of like, you know, how that goes. Was it like okay? Has the assessment rubric totally shifted? Where it's like okay, now we're we're like less focused on like specific technology choices and building. You know, like the the actual technical infrastructure. And we're more focused on. Well, there's still a bit of a in my role of like setting sort of the technical direction or at least uh, evaluating like the things that are being proposed. Uh, that's, that's one thing that's kind of different than my job. My last jobs on contracts was that on some of the most contracts I worked on, it was uh, there was a, there was a technical lead and a people manager and those were completely separate roles. Um, at Amazon, they're basically the same thing. <laughs> mm. So like some teams do have tech leads, but um, a lot of times like the SDM serves as like, you know, overseeing the technical direction, coming up with planning for the next year, uh, still talking to their team and getting ideas from other people. Um, but at least in, in my situation, it, it's, there's kind of a lot of overlap. So you are, you are kind of between two worlds with you, you know, you have the whole people management side, which is the completely new part about being an SDM. You have to, you have to have one-on-ones with everyone. You have to, you know, provide feedback. You have to come up with how to promote people. You have to, you know, defend, <laughs> defend decisions of your team and push back on product to say, oh, here's our, here's our schedule. Like what are our estimates? Like our estimates changing what exactly we're doing. And then at the same time, also for the team kind of, you know, solidify if we're going to go this direction or like, here's what we need to do. Like, how do we do it? Like, what are the, what are the options? Yeah. Like that, I mean, that, cause there's something really interesting there about like, you have to balance, okay, we're trying to meet these like larger, I guess like org goals, company-wide goals, and like, you know, get our get our stuff done. But at the same time, you also are like managing and I guess like defending your team. Like do you like I would guess that in your org everyone's pretty happy with you and your team. Um, because it would be dumb if they weren't. But like <laughs> talking from my own experience, but like have you found situations where you said, okay, I'm going to push back against this deadline or there's this requirement that just doesn't make sense? Like, that, like I can just say, like, okay, this is going to be bad. Like, have you ever been like, this is bad for my team morale? Like, Yeah, I, I mean, that happens a lot. Uh, there's there's definitely always the, the fear of burnout, like working on projects that are dependent on other projects that are delayed or working on things that uh, are not fun where it's, you're not spending time coding. You're spending a lot of time talking to other teams to get them or convince them to do things a certain way or to or, or to push out their code. Um, I, we've definitely had a fair share of that uh, where you're spending more time 
trying to get a deployment out than the actual code change itself. Right. And we're just like, okay, well, okay, well, we're blocked here, and then you can't do this, and then the, right, like there's so that's part of the communication process where it's like it can be like a one liner fix, but needing to like do it in someone else's deployment pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like. I mean, are you? I mean, that's part of the problem with big companies. Some teams are some teams are easier to work with than others. Some people are, you know, have a very clear process. They're just like, you know, give me a pull request. Um, I mean, Amazon has, you know, hundreds of teams working on deploying things to like a single page, like a detail page, and they have some process where they can get things out yeah. <laughs> in a reasonable yeah. amount of time. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, it's great if the team is, you know, willing to do that and, and saying like, yeah, we trust you. You're an, you're a developer here. So we don't, we don't, we know you'll try not to break things. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I also, I, I do respect teams who are like, listen, our entire thing is this like legacy product. It's pretty spaghetti code. Like you're probably, if, if we don't like guide you through, it's probably going to break. Yeah. I, I guess we, we have the complete opposite thing with like Facebook where they used to have like a deployment team that just deployed the entire website every week. Or I did not know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. They, they had their, uh, their custom, uh, PHP to C plus plus compiler. Then they just do one big deployment and, <laughs> and everything was just bundled up and deployed. I, I don't know if they've moved to a more continuous I, model now. I hope but. so. Yeah. Cause that, I was like, what if you just need to roll back like one thing? <laughs> just like, yeah, no, yeah, we'll roll it back next week. Like, I mean, I, I mean, there's always like, um, you know, there's always like ways to deal with like out of band operational issues and emergencies and stuff. Although have you, have you found that to be about the same experience of, as like an SDM versus senior developer in terms of like how often you need to like, help like put out fires uh i mean you're involved in more of them because yeah. <laughs> any any fire that happens because your team caused you know you have to jump in and make sure you understand and you know rope in the yeah. right yeah people. you can't be just step up and be like what i mean well i was on call last week when everything was fine anyway back to lunch <laughs> like, yeah like so yeah I, I guess any anything that happens you you have to be more available on but um yeah, there's always escalations, you know, if uh, upper management wants to know, like, hey, what's the, the status of this or why is this delayed? I, I got to come up with a good answer. I'm not going to just like, I'm not going to go to my team and say like, hey, what's like, can you email the VP and tell them why this is this is delayed? Yeah, because yeah, no, because especially because there's a way that devs talk and there's a way that business people talk. And like, sometimes the way that devs talk is not reassuring, like, or it's, it's like, it either it's like too technical or it's like informal, or it's like honest, but sort of sounding pessimistic or negative about the overall system. Yeah, you, you don't want to come off as passive aggressive in your emails. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I you go for aggressive aggressive. Let's let them know. Yeah, and, and you don't want to email people and kind of allude to blaming certain teams or things. It, it's a lot of politicking. Sure, like that, and, and it was that, but I mean... I guess once you're a senior developer, you're almost kind of like involved in it. Like it, I would hope that like when you're, if your manager's like pulling you into a meeting, they aren't just like, Ooh, don't say that. You know, like, <laughs> like after the fact, I hope they kind of be like, okay, this is the terrain a little bit. This is what this meeting is about. This is like, you yeah, know, I mean, it is, it is helpful sometimes to level set and say like, we don't want to dive into like why this decision was made yeah. or we just <laughs> want to say like, here's, here's, here's the scope of this meeting. And that helps a lot with at least keeping meetings 
short. Like I hate when meetings run one long or go over. So I'm I'm always trying to be very cognizant of saying like you know let's let's try to get to the main technical issue that we want to talk about and let's not spend too much time uh, going through like this first paragraph of this document we're reading. Uh, and then you know if we are at time, just like saying it's over, we the, need another meeting or we gotta do something else. <laughs> yeah, like those are some of my favorite where it's like the entire meeting gets taken up with like what was supposed to be the first agenda item. And then it's like, what about all these other things? And it's like, okay, well, we're not going to have, we're, not, we're the meeting's over and we don't have time to have one until next week. And some of these have to get made. So we'll just make the decision real quick. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, I think definitely another aspect of managing is being able to run meetings and try, try to like pace things. You have to, you have to be watching the clock and say, you know, are we making, progress <laughs> yeah for sure i mean that i mean i so i guess that's but that's something you're i'm always aware of but then what always felt weird to me were like the multi-manager meetings where it was like okay well it's hard to say who exactly is leading this meeting you know it's like okay there's like two teams here three teams here like it's about something that we're doing together you know like someone's sort of presenting but it's like how do you assess that? I mean, it's just like you're like dropped in cold and there's like this like other SDM who you've like, I don't know, like seen a couple times before, but don't know a lot about. And you just go, oh, they have a very different way of running meetings than I do. And like, yeah, it's, this is weird. It's definitely a collaborative exercise. Like if you're in a meeting, there's not necessarily, you know, you're, you're in the meeting with all these other managers, like your same level working on your same, you know same size team doing these things or working for different orgs that don't have the same goals as you. Um, a lot of it is, you know, trying to come to consensus by saying, okay, what's good for the business? Like I realize, like, I don't have any time to do this for you, but I know that this is probably something that should get done. Yeah. I mean, and at the very least just being like, Hey, just to be aware, like if we're still doing this two years from now, we're going to be screwed. You know, just like at some point this has to get changed, mm -hmm. like putting some stuff up on the board. But then do you go up to, this is like, I do you go up to like the higher level, like how many levels above you do you have to meet with? I, yeah. It, is it, is it tough to, to hang out with Jeff? A, <laughs> yeah. You know, we always just go out for Negronis. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, our VP is, is pretty involved. So I, I go to a lot of like business review meetings where, where, where they show up, um, but yeah, in general, you, you only tend to really most of the time need to work with like, you know, two, up to two or three levels above you. Um, <laughs> I mean, as sure, it's different for various projects. I bet the SDMs on the fire phone were all going up and reporting to Jeff and keep presenting all the time. But uh, it's a blend of like, what's the visibility of this project versus, uh, you know, how interested are they in, this, in like the, the, the minute details? Sure. And I, yeah, I guess they kind of express, express that <laughs> like, but you kind of, you have to kind of sort of play it by ear if it's like, okay, here's this product. I'm excited about it. It meets a customer need, but it's like not part of, it's like, it's on the roadmap, but it's not like anybody's favorite thing. Yeah. And it's business impact. You know, if I'm working on a feature that's going to drive X million dollars in revenue versus this feature that'll service this niche community of like long tail advertisers that won't spend that much money a year. It's uh, sorry, anybody who wanted a Ruby API. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants a Ruby API. <laughs> Plenty of people want Ruby APIs, <laughs> such as Basecamp. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. So you so you have to kind of 
And then how much do you get into the accounting of it? I mean, is it, are they sort of like, do you help with the napkin math of like, this is what we anticipate like the best revenue decision to be? Or is it a lot of the product, product managers, product owners, that's a, that's a big part of the things that go into like the, uh, I know mm-hmm. at Amazon, they do these things called PR FAQs, which are these press releases and FAQs that says, and they, they come up with like, oh, this is going to drive X million dollars of revenue. And we have these, you know, five likely advertisers who say that they would use it. And that if this feature existed, they would, but they would spend this much on it every year. Um, so they have, they have a lot of, it's a lot of like sales and product managers like are actually out there talking to the customer. It's why they, they go to dinner with customers and they, they, they drive this and they, they talk to them and they say, given, you know, here's what I want. And then if you give me this, this is what I'll spend on it. <laughs> yeah. That uh, while being, while eating steak and lobster. Yeah. Like, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's why they get the big expense accounts. Well, no, I mean, but honestly, like maybe that's for the best, like a couple of drink glasses of wine and somebody's look like, look, to be honest, we'd rather just move our entire back end to like to your managed service. You know, like I can definitely see the, the advantage of splitting it up into late, like into these different layers. Yeah. One thing good about advertising is we are very close to the customer. Like I could, I could talk to talk to one of our PMs and he'll be like, oh, I had dinner with this guy from PNG yesterday and here's what he said. So there, yeah. it's, it's a very small gap. Uh, that that may, be, may not be the case in some things like new AWS services where they're providing something yeah. that people don't know they want. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, we're adding this to the global dashboard. It's like, did you talk to them? It's like, did I talk to millions of people? I did not. <laughs> like, we got 20 people in one usability study. You know, like... Uh, Although how, because I remember being part of some of those and some of those were actually like really like interesting to watch and like, I think helpful. And some of them were, mm, I guess there's some data out of it, but maybe not enough by itself. Like how much do, how much does like UX and use how much like UX and usability studies, like becoming part of like management decisions and business decisions? Uh, generally the feature is the, the thing they come up with first. The usability studies are after the, or, you know, before we start implementing ideally or yeah. during implementation. <laughs> or half, at least not more than halfway through. So you can yeah. still course correct. So, cause you want people in the usability studies who are likely customers. So you, you know, the feature and you know, the customer set before they start using it. Yeah. Um, it's just it hurts because like it's the op it's the opposite of like what I was like I was like oh you build this cool thing and then you're like hey do you want this like yeah I mean um, one one thing I, I like a lot about uh, our our org the advertising org at Amazon is uh, we we work a lot with the designers and there is there is a whole team of designers and UX people kind of thinking through this and and you know taking the role of the customer so they're they're basically a proxy for the customer so I I don't need to go talk to you know, one of these companies directly, I can just talk to the designer and they can say, like, here, like here's, here's based on my knowledge of the customer, this is how they would do this. Or based on these usability studies, like this is confusing. This is, yeah. this is what we need to do. Yeah. So you have, so yeah, you have a support network basically. Like you're not having to like go out and get, you know, having to like go out and like stop customers on the street and be like, yeah, what, what would you think of <laughs> a tool? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's, and, that's and an it's advantage. A good, it's a good stopgap to say like, you know, like this, this one PM really wants this feature. And then you show it to 10 customers and they're like, I don't know what that button does. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah that, that in, in it's a like way, I wouldn't actually do that. I would never click that. Yeah. Like, or the, or just like a real, like passionate burning desire to have like some feature that like a customer, you can't even get them to understand. Like, we're just like, Oh, it's really, 
we really want to have this data viz and it's like okay but they're like what what is what am i looking at what what is this but then i mean in some cases though i don't know it's sometimes like somebody it's almost like i know like it's a cliched example like the steve jobs example where he's just like yeah there's just like this thing and like it already exists but like i have an idea for like a version of it that's like much cooler and like just build it <laughs> like i'm telling it's like who's it's like what about like usability and it's like i steve jobs and telling you i don't like this screen yeah just like, because people like doing things a certain way doesn't mean it's the best way to do them yeah it doesn't mean that they won't like be convinced that there's a better way sure but like i guess at higher levels if somebody like really believes in something they can like they have some power to get some version of it done you know even if there's like swimming upstream i guess yeah and uh, and this that works sometimes and yeah, yeah more, no more exactly not it doesn't <laughs> no exactly you don't you can't be like no there's no room for create you know like you want to be like oh let's be purely you know like data driven customer because like yeah a lot of times customers can't you know it's like not only can they it's like they're they're even they they can't like they can't articulate the solution for the problem but also the way they're thinking about the problem is like not correct either and so you kind of just have to make this like leap of faith and like people are like pleasantly surprised that this is something that they like. Yeah, and I, I like that about Amazon. That's one of the things they do is they that like they're okay with having you know five teams work on the same problem and solve them in different ways and just seeing which one ends up. Oh being yeah, better. it's 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 like a very like ni- nice like evolutionary model. <laughs> like instead of like saying this one has been scientifically determined to be the best before it launches, <laughs> is you you kind of see what works in the ecosystem. You see like you know, build products, you see what customers respond to. Someone's building a platform, you see like what other teams respond to, what other developers, you know, like or don't like. And then you kind of, yeah, you, I guess you, uh, hopefully like the best thing wins out in the end. Um, eventually. That's the goal. That's, <laughs> I mean, it, and yeah, and like, it, it's kind of annoying because yeah, sometimes someone can just like ignore UX, ignore product and just be like, this is what I'm doing. And then it's like, oh, it worked. And it's like, but that doesn't mean that it's, I think it also makes it more fun for the developer because like you have these options to choose from. You have internal tools that like two or three tools that do the same thing. And you can say, I like the way this one does it better. Or, uh, or, or just like technology choices. Like there was no reason we needed to write a website using Node.js as our backend, but like it was fun because we wanted to do it. It was was like, it was fun. (laughs) And like, yeah, we can we can hit the performance requirements we need with this and like, we're going to do it. Yeah. So I like, I like giving the option to do new things, uh, in, you know, using whatever technology can accomplish the goal as long as there's, there's, they meet the baseline requirements. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really powerful. Like as, as a way of like attracting and retaining talent is this is you don't have to impose like a company wide one standard of, it's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah, there's things like uh, GraphQL out there where everyone's like, "Oh, this is a cool thing," yeah. but like most of most of the places people use GraphQL probably don't need to use GraphQL. Yeah, but it's, but it's fun to try it out. Oh, it's yeah, like, and- oh yeah, and you know, I spent I I got to do this project. I finished my my user story, and I also you know learned GraphQL. Yeah, <laughs> and like I've had like I've done two projects with it recently, and for one project I was like, "Wow, what a really good fit!" And it was like, "Wow, don't ever use GraphQL for this." Like, and so it was like. You yeah you find out by doing where you, you like now I kind of have that I say oh is this the kind of project where GraphQL would like be really like helpful mm-hmm. or is this the kind of project where GraphQL would probably be a mistake 
Yeah, and GraphQL, you know, you got you got this GraphQL layer, but then you're still usually accessing a relational database on yeah, the other yeah, side. Like that's so. a- yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, all, well, I guess what you're doing is you're giving yourself like, um, I mean, the way I've seen it be used is, well, one, you're giving yourself like standardization where you're like, okay, we don't have to like make up mock APIs for mock data, you know, and they're going, okay, this is whatever it actually is. At some point it needs to be in this, like our, our GraphQL schema shape. I don't care how it gets there, but <laughs> It's like, sure, yeah. I, you know, it's less information over the wire, but yeah. uh, maybe a little longer processing time. But if I have a hundred, you know, megabit connection, do I really care about that? Yeah, like depending on what your target is. And then, yeah, and then like one advantage is, um, it's, it's an advantage and a disadvantage because GraphQL can be so good at unblocking your front end team that it can make t- t- stakeholders not understand how like f- unfinished the back end is. Yeah. Because they look at it and they're like, wow, this is all great. And it updates and it writes. And it's like, yeah, I mean, on the local dev server, <laughs> like, I have no idea how you're actually writing this. Like, But yeah, any tool that makes it fun fun for development, like as, as a as a front end developer, I'd, I'd definitely love to be able to access things via GraphQL on the back end. Maybe it won't scale, but yeah. it's uh, it, it makes it more fun for me. So that's uh, that's a good excuse to use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's. Yeah, with you know, with within business parameters, like <laughs> restrictions may apply, but yeah, that's that's a real benefit of not trying to yeah just be monolithic of saying like okay, we have one set of tools and we're so confident that it's the best for every possible problem that you're not allowed to use anything else, and it's like that does not long term that doesn't really work, um, or. Or there's like some OPSEC thing, right? <laughs> and like OPSEC always wins. because Well, there's always that. <laughs> yeah. Because they can always be like, no, it doesn't work with our security model. And like at that point, you can't be like, well, I'm going to do it because it's fun. <laughs> like they they do have a veto card. But yeah, like otherwise, why not? Not so much. I mean, there's there's a lot of things I've seen where Ooh, this the, is interesting. the usefulness can kind of you know, Trump. <laughs> this is so interesting because I was like, I was like, oh, I'm sick of the Trump card. And it's like, no, but if you're actually in decisions, it's like, so if you can like build up support for something, you can, because in a lot of cases, they're not saying it's inherently insecure. They're saying we don't feel like implementing it. Yeah, it's all, it's all like, software. There's, uh, you know, the same restrictions apply to almost any tool or library you use. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the community on board and like fixing those issues that are big, um, a lot of a lot of times, getting getting software approved, you know, I would say is a lot about just proving that it's been used effectively in other places. A lot of times, so uh, it's it's all about the right application. You don't want to you don't want to use like this newfangled database you just downloaded from the internet to store like customer information with credit cards and usernames and addresses. <laughs> Listen, CockroachDB is no, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, exactly. Like that's. That's kind of so you, hitting. Yeah, this. you pick use cases that are are non critical data or like, like things that doesn't you know obviously you don't want to leak any data, but yeah. things that aren't as uh, business critical as like usernames or things sure. that will lose your trust, and you prove it out. Yeah, and, you, and you say like, oh, this has been used, and we haven't had any security incidents. Like the, the community is using it, uh, but and it gives us this like really cool fast development cycle and feature levels that we don't get from. 
you know, Oracle databases, <laughs> to quote it. <laughs> Whoa, what a terrible thing to say about Oracle uh, databases. Yeah, just because, you know, Amazon and Oracle are fighting it out now. <laughs> it's, yeah, as soon as we finish moving off their platform. Like, <laughs> we're almost, I mean, I think it'll happen soon, right? Like, what's the, I think there's a, I, I, I'm not asking for the internal date, but I assume there's a target date at which point Amazon is will be, a, like, completely uh, free of Oracle. Yeah, I mean, I only know it's in the press releases. They... They've announced their intention to move off Oracle. But. That's good. And you see, this is how you get security clearance, folks. <laughs> this is how you get it and keep it. Let's see. Uh, we're actually about ready to wrap up. So I'm going to ask a somewhat cliche question, but I, I really like it, which is um, what is one thing that you learned transitioning from a senior developer to like a soft, like to a manager that like you had to learn the hard way or that you wish someone could have been like, okay, trust me on this one. Or just like it, just a single point, like just like one thing you, you feel like would have made your job easier up front if you had known. Well, that's a hard question. It is, <laughs> but there's a lot of angles to it. Um, I don't know. The thing, the thing I've struggled with most, I guess, is kind of under like a lot of the people management, like giving good feedback to people is is kind of tough, um, especially when you're not involved in the product. Like uh, there's a lot of people on the team and, you know, you're not, you're not tracking every code review, every, every feature requests. And it, it, it's kind of how, how to solicit from the team feedback for the rest of the team so that you can provide it and coach people on the team. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's a very difficult thing because a lot of times people don't want to say critical things about their teammates. Um, or they're too critical. <laughs> well, at least that it's it, it's easier to tone down critical feedback and say and provide it in an easier way than it is to, you know, when people are radio silent and they say, you know, like yeah, it was good. It's good working with them. Um, they did a good job. Like uh, that's the that's end. not yeah. going to be helpful to for me to solicit to distill into something to say to someone else. Sure. No. It, yeah. Feedback wise, it's equivalent of like it was good. I liked it, and it's like all right. We're, so, yeah, I mean, that's the toughest thing for me. And I, I don't think I have the right answer as to what I would have been told to, to say, like, how do you get good feedback and give good feedback? So I'm still working on that. So, yeah. So, OK, so no silver bullets there, but like an open ended problem of that being. I, I think it's definitely one of the very different aspects of uh, because you're constantly meeting with all these people and you're, you want to, you know, if you're doing weekly, biweekly one on ones. You need you need new things to say to them, <laughs> like you're like you've used up all your old material. Or you're like, 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 <laughs> I mean, you you want to be helpful. You want to you want to give them a good direction and say like, sure. here's how you get to the next level. And like these are the these are the three things you need to work on to get to get to get promoted. And uh, giving them that direction. Yeah. And, and finding out like what are the things that I need to to work on to get to that direction. Or even just like if they're suffering from imposter syndrome, be like, yeah, it's like. <laughs> You know, like ramping up takes time. Don't worry about velocity. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, positive positive reviews are easy to get. Like I can, I I get that from all of them. Like, oh, what did this guy do well? Like, oh, these these five things. Like, what what do they work on? What what do they need to to improve on or, or develop in or be coached on? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, they're fine. Like that's it's not useful. You're not just knowing what you're doing well is not a good way to to progress in your career. You hear that? D Display ads at Amazon is hiring for pessimists, critics, cynics. Um, well, critical feedback is a, is a very uh, 
good concept, uh, co- common concept across Amazon Teams. But yes, I, I have three openings right now if you're a front-end developer or a software developer. So come join my team. All right. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, can they find you at what, uh, jobs.amazon.com? Uh, probably. Yeah. I'm, probably. I'm on there. <laughs> You're on there. Yeah. Just search for my it's, name. No, there's, there's so you many look up by hiring manager. Yeah. No, there's so many openings in there. It's like its own version of LinkedIn where it's like, you know, at least you like you should have contacts. Yeah. Like, we have a new role called front end engineer, which is a, uh, you know, a web developer who knows a lot of military stuff and can do some scripting. And we, we have a couple openings there. Uh, the person who developed the role is on my is on my uh, sister team right now, so he, he, we're very invested in that, and that's why I have two FE openings. Uh, wow, that's great! Yeah, and I like the internet, so if you want to talk about internet stuff, all right, find me on well various platforms. Well, this has been Dev Tales, and Tony, thank you so much for talking with me and sharing. Let's plug that whiskey one more time. <laughs> All right, I'll just take take another sip here. Let's uh, cheers to the uh, Hibiki Centauri whiskey. Thanks for having me. All right, that's all, folks.